Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I got a question. Would you rather have edible spaghetti hair that regrows every night or sweat maple syrup? What? Yep. Yep. Would you rather have edible spaghetti Edi- hair that regrows every night or sweat maple syrup? Edible spaghetti hair. Yes. That is a phrase. Oh my goodness. Um, wow. <laughs> I, 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 that's, a, well, Eric's I think over it's, here just shaking his I head. I think it's an easy how, choice, but I don't like it. How loudly them. can I shake my head? <laughs> so edible spaghetti hair, like you'd have to You'd have to eat it every day. Like, would it just keep growing longer and I mean, longer? It says it regrows, so I would imagine you'd want to eat some of it at least. Because you'd you'd be forced to have spaghetti every day, and here or, now you don't have or to give eat somebody your hair. else your spaghetti. Well, it, the, the question doesn't say you have to eat your or hair. Throw it away. Oh, you it just, just say it's it regrow. It but okay. that would be a waste of Phew. food. Because well, yeah, what are you going to do with that spaghetti? And um, would you want to eat that spaghetti? That's no. disgusting. No, yeah, your yeah, hair spaghetti. And that if, is gross. And if you're sweating maple syrup, are you gonna like walk over to someone's waffles and like squeeze some maple syrup out of your armpit onto their <laughs> waffle? <laughs> and like, th- imagine waking up a- after sleeping in your bed with with maple you get, like, sweat. A hot sweat. <laughs> <laughs> this, 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 not good. <laughs> then you you detract critters. Yeah, or bees. This, bees would sting you. <laughs> This question presents itself as if these two things might actually be helpful and wanted. Like, oh, spaghetti hair and maple syrup whenever I want it. Wait. This is a special form of torture. It's like elf. This would be like elf's like, dream come true. You'd just have to have a friend with maple syrup sweat and you'd have spaghetti hair and it'd be, it'd be you know? perfect. This is so gross. Oh, this is so great. So That would have been a good Christmas question. Yeah, and let's not think about Christmas. I'm I'm picking up that we're leaving we're like leaving this this maple uh, syrup sweat to the, to itself. I don't know. I, there's no the there's thing. no way you can choose maple syrup sweat. No. It's not manageable. No, it that not. like that that like makes your life a nightmare. You can manage the spaghetti hair, even though that's that's a terrible burden. I like, would that's agree a really with that. a, that's obnoxious my answer thing. too. If I had to pick, that would be my answer too. When you imagine this question, do you imagine cooked spaghetti or dry oh, spaghetti? God, no, cooked. Oh, oh, I, oh, oh, both are the, bad. The question does not qualify this mm. just but you could straight out you could just have sp- spiked it's like liberty spiked. uncooked spaghetti <laughs> liberty <hair>. spiked <laughs> oh my gosh oh my gosh the thing is i actually i hate the texture of spaghetti in my mouth like it's so gross you, it feels like worms do you not eat spaghetti i do not i, I eat pasta i don't eat just like spaghetti spaghetti or like the like spaghetti shaped what like about angel, angel hair, hair. No, no none no, of none of, none of the long stringy ones it's like worms wow. Ugh. Interesting. So we're learning so much. Okay. Well, I think we're all on the bandwagon of spaghetti hair. If we what, had to pick. what amber of maple syrup? Gosh. Is this like grade A? It used to be like grade A, B. I know they don't do that anymore, but. I don't know. What difference does it make? It's coming out of your armpits. It's gross. All is, right. it, is it Vermont armpit syrup? <laughs> Canadian armpit syrup. What passage syrup? are we all reading? Right. Uh, so we are in a new book of the Bible, a whole new genre of the Bible, actually. We are going to be reading uh, for a stretch here in Old Testament prophets, and we're going to be in the book of Amos today. I should give you a little bit of context. These are definitely books where you should watch the Bible Project videos. Um, if you do not give, get some overview either from a study Bible, but especially the videos, um, it's going to be challenging to figure out what's going on because it usually takes a little bit of filling in some gaps and, and some kind of overview that will help. So I highly recommend that. For today, let me tell you what's going on in Amos. Uh, Amos is from 
the southern kingdom of uh, Israel and Judah. So at one point in uh, Israel's history, there is a civil war. They split into two kingdoms. Amos is a guy, he's just uh, like a, a farmer shepherd guy in the southern kingdom. But God says, I want you to go to the northern kingdom and I want you to give him a message. Now, Amos is called to be a prophet, and when we think of prophet, it, it kind of has the connotations of like somebody who's going to tell the future or give your fortune or something like that. Um, in Israel, in the Bible, the idea of a prophet was this. There were three big roles in Israel. There were kings who ran things, priests who ran the temple, and then prophets who were kind of on the outside of the system who would come in sometimes and say to the king or the priest, you're doing it wrong. God's got a beef with you. Uh, or God's got a message of hope for you sometimes, but usually it was more the negative. Um, and w- what Amos is assigned to do is essentially say, you know God's law, and I'm sort of like a lawyer delivering the charges saying, you, you are in trouble for breaking God's law, and I'm going to k- kind of bring you to court on God's behalf. And so Amos is showing up in the north at a time when things are pretty prosperous and good and saying, things might not be going as well as you think, because even though you're prosperous, your behavior is offensive to God. So we're going to read Amos chapter 5 here. We're going to read the whole thing. Ooh, here we go. That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. And Clayton does not go into these episodes knowing what the comma tip of the week is going to be. And I'm about to double down on everything he just said. Prophets. The word makes us think almost immediately of predicting the future, and while some of that is going on with the biblical prophets, it's not the main thing they are doing. Prophets in the Bible are speaking on behalf of God into a current situation. So, understanding that situation, the context, is incredibly crucial for understanding, enjoying, and applying the Bible when reading the prophets. Take some extra time with the C in the comma method when reading the prophets. Watch a Bible project video, read that intro in your study Bible, Check out the study notes or extra articles in your study Bible. You'll be glad you did. And this has been your comma tip of the week. That was great. That's good. Yeah. I don't even mind that we doubled down on that because no. it is a challenging section of, of scripture. So yeah. it's worth it. All right. Let's read Amos 5. Woo, this is 20, 27 verses. 27 verses. All right. Here we go, everybody. Hear this word, Israel. This lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel. Never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. 
Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all of the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all of the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. All right, there is a lot there. Let's talk about our observations. What did you see in the passage? The first thing that I saw was just this repetition of uh, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, or this is what the Lord says. Um, and I think that's a, I think that's a pretty powerful thing, because, okay, like, the prophet is speaking on behalf of the Lord, right? Amos is speaking on behalf of the Lord, but God is the one who's saying, these are the things that are going to happen, or these are the things that I would rather you do, or these are the things that you shouldn't be doing, Um and that it's like, it's he's proclaiming, like, pay attention, like, listen up. Yeah, it, it levels up the, the weight of this because it's coming from the highest it can come from. It's directly yep. from God. Yep. Uh, I noticed the repetition of seeking and living. So it mm-hmm. says, seek me and live, seek the Lord and live, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one thing that was kind of striking, especially since uh, in the context that we have, Israel's doing pretty well. Um, they're prosperous. They're, they seem to be, you know, enjoying all of the benefits that um, the Bible had described coming from, you know, uh, being in good relationship with God. They're, they're wealthy. They're, you know, doing all that. To hear these descriptions, even from the very beginning, like, fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in our own land. Like, it's the exact opposite of what they're actually looking at in real life. They're saying, we're doing great. We're on the upswing. And Amos comes in and essentially says, I, I can, I'm like looking at you and I'm seeing something totally different. You're about to, like this land's about to be emptied. It's about to be uh, pillaged by people. And he's describing all of these calamities that um, they're not seeing coming. Like they're, they're thinking we're on a great path. Nothing's happening. But he's saying, you know, there's a, there's a train coming down these tracks and you're, we're about to get hit. Yeah, and for for those of you that might have enough historical recollection, you might be asking the question, well, wait a minute, didn't they they return? Didn't Israel rise again? 
The answer is no. The northern tribe, the northern territory of Israel, when they, when they went away to exile, we never see those tribes again show up in the story. They're, that's why they're often referred to as the lost tribes of Israel. It's Judah that gets taken away in exile and then and then come mm-hmm. back. But uh, God delivers on everything he says. Yeah. The other thing that I saw here was we, we see this repeating word of justice pop up all over the place. And so obviously... Um, that's a, a big uh, character and attribute of God, that he is a just God, and he, uh, he, he seeks justice for his people. Um, but, you know, the thing in verse 10 that I thought was interesting was, he says, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and, the te- and detest the one who tells the truth. And then in verse 15, you see this contrast of hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. And so it's like, so you hate the person who hates the truth, and then you, and then it's like, you, no, actually, you're supposed to hate evil. So obviously, evil people hate the people who want to do good, and, and good people are going to hate the people who want to do evil. But that's just, it's just like a, a contrast for this entire thing. Like, you see those opposing sides going after each other. Yeah, that, that reminds me when he, when he says in the verse 10 that you just talked about, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court. It, it's the... It's the pondering we sometimes have is, has a system become so corrupt that the only way to function in the system is to be corrupt yourself, right? So it's like when a politician says, I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. and I'm going to clean it up. It's like, I hope you go with a sense of moral uprightness and character, but I have a feeling you're going to walk into a bunch of situations where you realize that there's an awful lot of compromise and injustice and bribery and things going on. Uh, that makes it really difficult to function in an upright way. A system can become fundamentally broken. Yeah, there's something about even that image of justice flowing like a river. When you think about a river, a river is hard to change direction. Like the point of having justice like a river is that you're actually in a society, in a system that makes it hard to go the other direction, to, to do unjust things. And you can actually have the reverse of that. It doesn't use that imagery for injustice here, but you can have a river of injustice that you try to get in there. It's hard not to get sucked up into it. So I I think there's some of that going on. Uh, One of the things that I I notice here is the description of the people that he's talking to in verses 11 uh, and and kind of following, he says, um, you've built stone mansions, you've planted lush vineyards, you know, you've got the good life going on. So these are people who are wealthy, and that it's, it's worth noting that who he's talking to is he's saying – he's talking to people who, when he's describing the courts, they're probably wealthy enough or have enough status in their community that they can throw their weight around in court, that they can get away with things. And when it talks about those who are poor, I think it actually says um, – it talks about uh, depriving the poor of justice in the courts. It's harder for someone who has less means to defend themselves to get a good hearing. Because the judge is gonna, you know, not you know see them as well or whatever. Um, it is it is really interesting to me that we live in a society where we've said we're going to assign people a lawyer when they've been charged with a crime. We're gonna actually, if they can't afford one, one will be provided by the court. Like all that, I've seen a lot of law, law and order, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there may be some things about that that don't work as well as we wish they would. But I was actually talking to um, a, a public defender in our church the other day. And I was like, how do you do this? Because a lot of people, you you know they've committed a crime or whatever. And he, he said, it's worth it because I know that even someone who has committed a crime deserves at least a fair process. And there are often people who are being accused of things that 
the the charges are going to be higher than they should be, or they're not going to realize uh, that they should, you know, bring up this. Or someone who has hasn't done something wrong has gotten in a wrong situation. Like he says, it's worth it for me to be in this process, often dealing with messy situations, because we want to have just courts. We like, that's what God wants. He doesn't want some situation where uh, a person who doesn't have the means isn't going to have a fair shot at getting a good trial. And verse 13 says, therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times for the times are evil. It's the whole snitches get stitches. It's the, I'm not, I'm not sticking my neck out. Like I know that this is a corrupt process. I know that this is a corrupt system and the prudent, when they know that that's going on, they just stay quiet. They walk, they walk away from that. They say, this is, this is not worth it. I'm, I'm going to get the bad end of this stick if I engage. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing to me, too, was you've got all of this, like, talk of injustice happening, and then all of a sudden there's, like, this, you know, like, three verse or two verses worth of just talking about who God is, verses 8 and 9. And I looked in my study note, because I just thought that was, I thought that was odd. And in the study notes of the, the NIV Study Bible, it talks about how uh, Amos just drops, like, a hymn into that, in, into that to describe God's power. And so, you know, he talks about, you know, he made uh, these constellations and the stars and he turns midnight into dawn and darkness in, dark, darkens day into night. Who calls the waters of the seas and pours them out of the face of the land? The, name, the Lord is his name. Like all of these things. Is, and then all of a sudden, like, I'm just going to tell you who God is. Like this is who you're, you're, you're standing up against. Yeah, you well, know? Reminder. Yeah. And I think it's pushing against the fact that they think they're getting away with it. Yeah. I think things at face value seem to be going well for them. They have mansions, they have vineyards, yep. they have money. And so that's why he's pointing out also, you've built your mansion, but you're not going to live in it. You've planted your vineyards, but you're not going to enjoy the wine. And then he goes on in verse 18 when he starts talking about the day of the Lord. And he starts warning them, you think when God shows up that it's going to be good for you? No, 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 no. It is not going to go well for you. And then he keeps he keeps adding to it. Uh, it will. I love this one. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. Right? I'm getting away with it. I'm getting away with it. No, nope, there's the bear. Well, and then the image. He entered his ha- house. He rested his hand on the wall, almost like, "Whew, I'm resting. I got. I got away from those animals." And then a snake bites him. It's like it's just sounds yeah. like an Alanis Morissette song. It's like rain on your wedding day. <laughs> oh, Free ride, but you already paid. Good advice you didn't take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm, not spoons. Spoons. I'm not yeah, singing. I'm not singing for you. Um, I, that image of the day of the Lord. So this is a, a topic that comes up a lot in the Bible. It's probably worth uh, kind of learning a little bit about. Once again, the Bible Project has a video about the day of the Lord worth checking out. Main idea is this. Um, there is going to be a final day when God puts all the wrong things to right, and he condemns what is evil and celebrates what's good and fixes all the things that have been broken. And and that is going to be a day when he uh, vindicates people who have been uh, sinned against, but then condemns people who have done injustice. And there are kind of ahead of time, times when God intervenes in history and you sort of get a little mini day of the Lord. So situations where God judges Israel or judges one of their enemies, it's sort of referred to as the day of the Lord, even though they're still looking for the big one at the end. Um, But Israel is thinking, well, we're on the good side. So that can only go well for us because we know that God's going to defend his people. But if his people are acting like this, it's not going to go well. I think a big observation is like the whole last 10 verses where he's talking about all of our religious gatherings, the singing of our songs, our festivals, our feet, like all of the things we do as religious people. 
But if our lives aren't in alignment with the way God created us to live, not only are those things a waste of a time, but they are offensive and a stench to God. Yeah. In when you look at the prophets, like you step back in the, the big picture, like what are they usually addressing when they're saying something is wrong? There's kind of two big categories. Uh, scholars have called them idolatry and injustice. And idolatry is the vertical side. It's how you're relating to God. Are you honoring him rightly or are you going to something else for your source? Uh, and and they're, uh, these are people who think they're honoring God, although there's a little hint at the very beginning when, when he says... Um, don't go to Bethel, don't go to Gilgal, don't, don't go to Beersheba. Like these, these are actually worship locations that we know they were worshiping idols alongside of God. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, we got God, but we also have these other things that we go to on the side that we think are going to provide for us. So there, there's idolatry mixed in there. And then that's kind of the vertical side. Injustice is the horizontal side. It's saying as a society, are we loving the people around us through the way we run uh, our society and the practices that we have. And so the the prophets tend to come in and say those two things and often connect them saying, look, your your vertical relationship is making it so you act inju- un- unjust or your unjust practices are showing that your vertical relationship isn't what you think. And those two things are not independent. They're, they're interconnected with each other. Another thing that sticks out to me is I already pointed out the three places where he says, seek me and live, seek the Lord and live, seek good and not evil that you may live. But the last verse of this chapter says, I will send you into exile. Exile is a done deal. God's already telling them, you're you're going to be judged. You are going to go into exile. But now I'm talking to you about living. So there is some... There's some like f- some forewarning here, God pointing out what has gone wrong with their society, what has gone wrong with them and the way they think about God and each other, and there is going to be consequences. They are going to go into exile, but in his goodness and his kindness, he's warning them, here are the things you need to correct. This is what I'm seeing so that you can live. Yeah, sure, you're going to end up going into exile, but you can still live. All right, let's talk about the M's in comma. We're going to start with meditation today. Uh, As always, you can do these in any order. Uh, But we usually, for meditation, pick a section of the passage we've read, and we slow down, we prayerfully ponder it for about 45 seconds. So I'm going to read verse 24 here. It's probably the most famous verse in this chapter and in all of Amos, and it says this, "'Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream.'" All right, let's talk about the second M in comma, which is message. Message is when we take what we have seen and read, and we try to sum up a principle in a sentence or two. What do you got? Yeah, so my message is um, seek the Lord and live. Um, that, that refrain pops up, I think, in very strategic places 
um, or that that repetition pops up, I think, in in very strategic places as a reminder of saying, uh, I just told you all of these things, uh, but kind of like what Eric was saying, seek me and live. Tell you all these things, but seek good, not evil, and you'll live. So for me, that's the message. My message is what happens in the law court says as much as what happens in the temple court. So the, the, the temptation is for us to say, I do all the nice religious things. I, I show up at church. I, I'm moved by the message. I sing my heart out. I do these things. And that might be genuine. But if we don't look and say, how are we engaging in public places? How are we engaging in um, you know, our workplaces? How are we advocating for, for just and unjust things in uh, the world around us? That says as much about where our heart is as what we do when we're at church or in our, our, our quiet times on our own. And so uh, Amos is a, a real challenge to say uh, that, that our piety is really proven by uh, justice in our lives. My message is God cares more about the lives we live than the songs we sing. Hmm. God's never really been ambiguous about what he thinks about us going through the motions of religion. He's not much impressed by our singing on Sunday if our lives sing the songs of selfishness the rest of the week. Hmm. Let's talk about A, application. What do we do in light of these things? Uh, seek the Lord and live. That was my message. Um, listen to what God says. Uh, you know, seek after his will for your life. So uh, I think with, just with, with regard to this passage, right, like what does God say uh, about how I'm supposed to live my life according, like in line with him. I love how you gave that vertical and that horizontal um, explanation. Like, what does he say about those things? And then figure out how to do them. Like, go go do those things. Seek after what seek after what the, what his word says. Right. Read the Bible. Listen to what it says. Figure out how to apply it. Seek the Lord and live. Uh, my application uh, at the the risk of uh, poking at controversies in our culture uh, are that. As followers of Jesus, we really do need to care about public justice. And I don't just mean you individually being the sort of person who treats people well, compassionately, you know, fairly. Um, I mean advocating for things that are right. Now, uh, there is no, like, specific Christian, here's the policy you should have about poverty or legal justice or, you know, criminal reform or whatever. You know, like, none of these things are things where the Bible says, here's exactly how to do it the right way. But there are things that the Bible says you should care about. And it's really tempting for us in a world where that's very controversial as Christians to back up and say, you know what, we're just going to care about things like making sure people hear the gospel and living good lives, which are things we advocate all the time. Like we're all about that here at Christ Community. But it's also really important for us to say there are times when we ought to like do the hard thinking work, not to just pick a party or pick someone who's yelling loudest or, you know, feels the best, but to say, what does Jesus care about? He cares about when people are being uh, mistreated in courts where they're not getting a fair trial. He cares about people who are poor, who are being uh, taken advantage of by people who have more money than them. The, these are things he cares about. Now, the specific solutions, those require wisdom, but we can't opt out of caring about those things, including how they play out in our society. So um, that may not give a direct application for a specific thing, but it does orient our hearts mm-hmm. towards saying, we got we got to think about this. Yeah. Well, I think it, I think the application there is to not allow how we currently use terms and phrases to discard entire categories of living out Christianity. Social justice has become 
a a phrase or a topic that a, a lot of evangelical Christians are like, well, that's just for the woke people. That's just for the progressives. And it's like, okay, I was just I was just at a conference where one of the pastors asked, well, what other kind of justice is there than social justice? You want to talk about justice from the Bible? Every time justice is talked about, it's not just a theory. It's not just like floating out there ambiguously. Anytime you're talking about justice, you're talking about people and societies and systems. There is no justice other than social justice. And so I think the application, Clayton, is Christians, let's not be let's not be shamed or tricked into completely discarding entire categories that our Bible calls us to care about. Um, so in kind of uh, hitching my wagon to your train of application, Clayton, it would be uh, during this uh, theme we've had all all year long at Christ Community Church, which is about faith at work. Saying we're closing that we're trying to close the gap between Sunday worship and Monday work. Right? We're saying what we do Monday through Friday is as much worship, if not more, than the songs we sing on Sunday. So my application is to really try to close that gap between Sunday and Monday, to pay, an, to pay a lot of attention to my, my faith walk every day of the week, not just an emphasis at a Saturday night service or a Sunday morning service. That's good. All right, friends, that's all that we have for you this week. Thanks for listening. Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage. In the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.